Welcome to Buddha in the Gas Pump, a weekly interview show in which we discuss spiritual awakening, for lack of a better term. This is a, the fifth in an ongoing series of interviews, and if this is the first one that you're catching, there will be titles at the end of this show to tell you how to watch the other ones. They're archived on YouTube, they're going to be archived on the Fairfield Public Access TV website, and there are various other alternatives. The reason we're able to make this a weekly show is that there are a great number of people these days who are undergoing a spiritual awakening. The terminology is a little bit ambiguous because different people might mean different things by those terms, but every week we discuss that term in particular and various other synonyms, and, and we, I think we're week by week arriving at a pretty good understanding of what is generally be meant by a spiritual awakening, and so far, and I'm sure tonight will be no exception, our guests have been very clear and articulate and very genuine about what they're experiencing. This is not a philosophical or metaphysical discussion show in which we speculate about, you know, things we might have read in books. This is a show in which we are discussing things that people are actually experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis. So, my name is Rick Archer, and I'm the host of this show. And my guests tonight are Fax and Sharon Gilbert, who are very dear and, and long-time friends of mine. And um, it's really a delight to have you two on the show. Thank you for having us. So, what I've generally been doing on these shows is just starting with a couple minutes of, of just kind of biographical information. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, what, who you are, what you do, what you do for a living, you know, what are your hobbies, that kind of thing, just so we can get a a feel for your kind of relative personalities or relative life, and then we'll begin to kind of get into what you may be experiencing or are experiencing. So whoever would like to go first. I, I'm a performer. I'm in the schools. I do about uh, 200 to 250 school programs a year, festivals. I'm an artist and I use skills of mime and magic to communicate educational programs. I have one on character and bullying. I have one called Health and Happiness. Mm -hmm. I have uh, a his state history play where I bring about a hundred costumes and then kids do mm -hmm. a whole play in one day. Mm -hmm. So I travel a lot. I'm, I'm in and out of Fairfield all the time, usually home weekends and out during the week. Mm -hmm. and I've been doing this for 20 years. Do you have a lot of that on video? I do. I have some of it on video. I'm, huh. I'm in the process of updating my website. So. Yeah. You might want to put a lot of that on YouTube so people can watch it. In fact, mm -hmm. I, I have a website associated with this show, and I link to the people that are on, if they have a website, link to the guests' websites. And, uh, you know, people are often curious to see what people are doing. Like last mm -hmm. week's guest is an artist, and she has her artwork on the website. Well, I could supply it with several minutes of, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and also, I mean, the station that we're taping this on could probably use some of your programming if you feel like having it shown. Mm. What did you do before that? Uh, before that, I taught Transcendental Meditation for mm. almost 20 years. Uh, mm. I got into it right after college and became a teacher shortly thereafter. And my uh, Shannon and I taught, you know, probably over a thousand people mm. all over the world. Any hobbies or particular interests? Uh, one of my passions is golf. Oh, so you and Tiger Woods have a lot in common, huh? Kind <laughs> <laughs> of a loaded question. No, they don't have that much in common. Except you play a good golf. Yeah, he has more mistresses than I do. Uh, and more money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you, Sharon? 
Um, well, I, I'm kind of the support staff uh -huh. effects, and I uh, spend a lot of time at home, actually, um, keeping the home fires burning, literally. Since he's gone quite a bit, I do a lot of the support work for that, and uh, cut people's hair, and mm -hmm. um, do some teaching, waking down teaching, mm -hmm. and um, basically just trying to stay out of trouble. <laughs> Are you successful? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, having known you both personally for a long time, I, it's, it's my understanding that you have each in your own way um, undergone a spiritual awakening, if, if you're comfortable with the, that particular mm -hmm. terminology. Mm -hmm. And um, so perhaps you could each kind of tell the story of, of that awakening and then we can kind of work both back and forward from that point to kind of mm -hmm. see what might have led up to it or caused it to, okay. to occur and, and how things have been developing since then. So whichever of you would like to go first on that. Yeah, when you ask, is the term spiritual awakening comfortable to me, mm -hmm. it is, and yet I wouldn't have described it that way myself. Mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about this, thinking about this interview, what I would actually even call what happened. And I would call it kind of a coming into alignment with myself or a um, falling into my actual size, hmm. something like that, where um, there wasn't anything sticking out anymore extraneous to who I am. Uh -huh. And um, that happened for me very gradually um, over many years, and, and I didn't know it was happening until the process had completed itself mm. in a certain way. I mean, um, when there, there was like a clicking in at some point, and then looking back on it retrospectively, I could see that it was something that was developing mm -hmm. for many years. Well, that's kind of a metaphorical description in a way, because you're talking about, you know, just nothing sticking out, and you're kind of yeah. falling into your, you know, you're fitting properly in yourself, <laughs> and so on and so forth. Yeah. And, you know, it could easily be misconstrued, what you're actually mm -hmm. saying. Uh, so, maybe you could kind of, as, as much as possible, elaborate on that, trying to kind of give uh, yeah. the actual yeah. experience that you're trying to convey with those terms, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. I, I know. It's, it's always... <laughs> No, I mean, it sounds like a clothing store where you just <laughs> <laughs> and and it's really true that I mean even if you just say simply it was a spiritual awakening that yeah, what does that mean? Well, let me see if I can be a little more clear and specific about that. Um, it sort of sounded like you know you've you've just kind of a, arrived at a state of psychological health or personal no. self ex, you know comfort with who you are or something like that, which which may be an apt way of putting it, but I think yeah. there's more to it than that that you'd like to convey. It was a time of coming into I, I guess I'm coming back to the same word. That's all right. I'll keep nailing you. No. <laughs> Coming into complete alignment with who I already am. And who are you already? <laughs> I am, you know, who you see before you. Yeah. And who I already am now is different in many ways than who I was at the moment of that recognition. Uh-huh. Um, and, and probably different than who you were before the moment of that recognition. And also the same as I've always been mm -hmm. and in some way. And, and that's why it was a coming into alignment. It was as though 
all that I had been striving for or seeking for for the many number of years, even before learning transcendental meditation, mm-hmm. um, that seeking just kind of fell back into a place of being who I am. What had you moment. been striving and seeking for? Wealth, fame? Well, yeah, no, <laughs> definitely not that. I mean, you know, when I heard about the possibility of God realization, mm-hmm. I knew immediately that was my purpose in life. Mm. And um, I didn't really, you know, I didn't know what it was in, in the sense of being able to say, okay, this is the parameters of what God realization will be, until I would actually, like, pin myself down about it. Um, and then God realization, when I learned transcendental meditation and the whole understanding that was given around that turned to enlightenment. So mm-hmm. then I aspired to have enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And though I didn't really know what those were in a real sense, they represented to me um, the purpose of why I'm here on earth. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was, in, in some intuitive, deep way, I knew that was what I came here to be. And to really, so, but. Um, then, of course, in the realization of it, it it's quite different than um, the words that I would have used to describe it beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you meditated for decades, and, and then, and, and we'll get into some of the details, but then you, you did reach a point at which you, or maybe it wasn't a point, you say it was a sort of a gradual transition, but perhaps a final acceptance of having kind of mm-hmm. <clears throat> found what you were seeking. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, <clears throat> there was a, a moment of owning who I already am as mm-hmm. being what I've always been seeking. And when that moment was reached, or even now, if it's easier to speak from mm-hmm. now, um, how was your experience different than what it had been throughout your life prior to that point? There was, you know, you know, in the seeking of that, there's always a bit of anxiety involved. Right. And there's always a, a carrot dangling, you're kind of yeah. going after. And that fell away. Mm-hmm. The, and and mm-hmm. the essential like, striving and confusion around my sense of identity mm-hmm. dropped away. No, there just wasn't a question about it. Mm. And... Um, there was what I, at the time, I remember I described that myself as a block of peace. I know that's a block odd. of peace. A block of because I just felt like P E A C E. Right. Right. Not frozen peace, but a block solid. of peace. Right. Just solid. <laughs> and that was my experience. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I would say unperturbable afterwards. You know, for many months. Right. During the honeymoon period, mm-hmm. whatever. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that was. And it was, you know, of course, a joy. Yeah. So would you say that you are that peace? Mm, that, yeah. you, that you're kind of, mm-hmm. you, yeah, you say, I'm a block of peace. I mean, ordinarily, if you, you say to somebody, okay, well, who are you? Yeah. They say, yeah. my name is Sharon Gilbert. Well, no, I mean, in more detail, who, who, who are you really? Well, you know, mm-hmm. I, I live there, and mm-hmm. I have this job, and I have right. these interests, and I like music, and I have three mm-hmm. kids, if you had <laughs> kids, or, you know, whatever they can use to yeah. describe the various features of their life. And, mm-hmm. and, and to most people, to my understanding, 
those things define who they are. And very often when yeah. somebody loses a big chunk of those things, mm-hmm. their whole self-image is shaken to the core, you know, because that's yeah. who they are. I mean, if a, if a wealthy yeah. person loses all his wealth or, mm-hmm. you know, if someone loses a child that, that was right. really the whole focus of their existence or, yeah. or whatever. Right. So I think what you're saying is that you kind of discovered a deeper aspect of yourself that really can't be defined by those kinds of external um, cues or, or you know, definitions. And, you know, well, peace is one word to use, mm-hmm. and usually we, we think of inner peace. So mm-hmm. we can think of a, a peaceful external situation, mm-hmm. but you're, uh, you're referring to an mm-hmm. inner peace, which, you right. might, which yeah. might be just as peaceful running through an airport as it would be sitting in the woods. Right, that that uh, inner peace that is true because you know the outer world is almost mm-hmm. never exactly at peace. I mean, mm-hmm. there are times when there's peaceful moments, you know, peaceful periods in our life. But um, one can have inner peace, obviously, right, in the midst of you know what life continues to be. Uh huh. And so you know, if your realization was one in which your 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 self definition or your self concept or your self perception or your self understanding shifted and your identification became pre- predominantly that w- with that piece mm-hmm. then surely you also still had external characteristics you know a body yeah. a family interests right. you're, you're hungry you're tired you're sleepy you're sick you're healthy you know all those kinds of things are happening to another aspect of your life. Yes, and, and actually I'm glad you, you put it that way because even though my uh, experience at that time was of being a solid block of peace, mm-hmm. um, the peace came because the inner and outer experience had come into alignment mm-hmm. with each other. There was a, uh, a kind of a seamlessness of, of being. Mm-hmm. and um, so even though there is a whole external range of activity and motion and, and change and my, my identity as you know, a, a woman mm-hmm. and a wife and uh, whatever else I you know, uh, hold around myself as part of who I am externally, all that mm-hmm. and the sense of my identity is not separate. That's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, I was going to say, do you consider that piece to be like a component of who you are? And in addition to that component, you have, you know, the various other components you just referred to. But you just said not separate. And not separate kind of implies yeah. that it's not compartmentalized like no. that. Everything no. is sort of part of a, a larger wholeness which mm-hmm. the peace is part of it and all the other things you yeah. mentioned are part of it at the yeah. same time. At the same time, right. It's, I mean, you can divide it into parts and mm-hmm. components for the sake of you know, talking about it or um, sometimes even doing inner work you can, you know, I'm sure you've done this where you can notice something in you or a part of you is experiencing something in, in the totality of who you are. Mm-hmm. But that's really a conceptual separation, and it, it doesn't exist in reality. Mm. So, but when the rubber meets the road, let's, let's kind of consider the last time you got really upset about something. Okay. Um, in, in the midst of that experience, 
done, so this probably happened this <laughs> afternoon, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the midst of that experience, where was this peace and where was this awakening that you yeah. underwent? Um, I guess I would, if we put it into a concept of, of like a spectrum of experience, mm-hmm. sometimes the peace is big and, and the, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the frazzled moment might include is mm-hmm. smaller. And sometimes the frazzledness gets bigger and the peace becomes a little uh-huh. less dominant in my experience. So it's kind of like a lens which can kind of zoom in here and zoom back there. But yeah, a lot of it is in terms of where my attention is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can be completely involved in frustration of, you know, trying to get the cookies to come out right that I'm baking mm-hmm. for my family right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, the. There's so many little details that you have to be aware of, and I can't seem to get exactly right each time. And um, and at the same time, there is a uh, the capacity, I would say, in a moment to see myself and laugh at that, to laugh at myself mm. going through that. But mostly, I don't try to separate myself from my experience in any way, and if I'm going through, you know, external uh, anxiety and um, even um, being totally upset, I don't try to um, adjust that necessarily, you know, unless I'm hurting the environment in yeah. some way by my anger. In other words, you don't try to use that sort of inner realization or inner peace as a tool to kind no. of dampen down no, the... No, no, yeah. no. No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that because um, it, it isn't necessary. Mm-hmm. For one thing, the piece has really no problem with the little fluff-ups in my personality. Hmm. And so you probably would consider it to be repressive and, and even unhealthy to try to sort of, you know, to try to maintain some kind of mm-hmm. external even keel. Oh. Uh, yes, you know, true. because yes. the internal keel is the thing that's really, that's you know, guiding the yeah, ship. That is true. Huh. I, I, I would consider it um, a bit intrusive, um, or almost violent in some cases, especially mm-hmm. to try to make everything fit into a, an attitude of, say, equanimity or something. Mm. On the other hand, though, I would say that I would say that in um, dealing with other people mm-hmm. and, in, and being in harmony with my environment, I have more capacity now to take myself in hand and, you know, and behave appropriately. Mm. I don't have to like fly into a rage just because I'm feeling one mm-hmm. at any given mm-hmm. time. So, Yeah, I was going to say because, I mean, there's a sort of a stereotypical mm-hmm. attitude about what enlightenment might be that the Buddha himself kind of you know, depicts with his right. subtle smile and he's so peaceful yeah. and all that stuff. But, um, you know, all the people I've known, including some famous saints who, you know, are, you, you know, regarded by millions mm-hmm. to be enlightened, had a heck of a temper if the situation called for it, you know, and even sometimes yeah. where it didn't seem to call for it, as far as I could tell, but, yeah. you know, they, yeah. they had no qualms about expressing the full range of human emotions. That's right. Anyone who's ever lived in close proximity to even great realized beings, 
um, if you've been in an ashram, say, and you're one of the people who gets to be close to that person, mm-hmm. um, there are many stories about all of them in terms of their temper. Very few of them were totally equanimous at all. Yeah, some of the old, Zen, <laughs> some of the old Zen masters were said to be very fierce, you know, mm-hmm. and strict, and har- uh, even mm-hmm. harsh. And right. Even Ramana Maharshi, there are stories about him and his kitchen staff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they spilled any rice on the floor. You know. huh. very he didn't like waste. Is no. there any? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's enough about me. So. <laughs> you want, you want. Yeah, we'll come back to you, but okay. let's, let's, let's hear Fax's story. Well, I, I've been meditating for you know, 25 years, and I was at the point where uh, I'd pretty much given up any chance of awakening in this life. Because mm-hmm. I, when, when I'd sit to meditate, it was... I had the same number of thoughts that I had, you know, 20, you know, the year before. Right. It didn't seem like my stress level was getting any lower. If anything, it might be getting rolling. You didn't show any signs of levitation. I showed no signs of levitation. I showed, <laughs> uh, if anything, it was I was going the opposite direction. And so I figured that, you know, when I became a teacher, I, I was meditating for hours and hours every day for months and uh, if that didn't do it I wasn't about to get back into that so I pretty much resigned myself to just enjoying the meditation mm-hmm. for the rest of my life and whatever happened mm-hmm. yeah and in 1999 this is like 10 years ago uh, something started to get activated uh, somebody said something we were talking about you know, unity and this fellow said uh, I said something like unity is what everything is one this fellow said, not even one. Mm-hmm. And so that, I heard that, and for some reason, it just struck me as being very... Who's yeah, this fellow? Uh, Andy Ryan. Andy Ryan. Oh, Andy Ryan. He was in town. Mm-hmm. I was talking to him. And I started laughing. Mm-hmm. There was something that uh, it sort of like slipped past my conception of what a unity might be. Mm-hmm. Not even one. I mean, what is it if it's not even one? It, it made it more intimate to me. Mm. I had several other experiences over the next couple of months that kind of like activated my sense of presence mm-hmm. uh, or, or proximity to uh, being. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it wasn't so much a concept of far away. Right. And I was doing shows the whole time, and but there was a liveliness there, mm-hmm. as if something was moving that hadn't moved in a while. Mm-hmm. And Sharon uh, set up an appointment with me with this fellow who was in town. He was a disciple of. Papaji, mm-hmm. uh, an Indian master who had awakened a number of uh, Western students who then came to this country. And so he, he had this process called Radical Awakening, and I went to that. Mm-hmm. And who was that? It's a, it's, his name was... Uh, Yukio. Oh, the Japanese guy. Japanese yes, guy. Ramana or something. Ramana. Yeah, right. Okay. Japanese I remember American. that. Yeah. And so I went to it having no idea what it was. It was a type of self-inquiry which turned you back on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a recognition. It wasn't, I wouldn't even call it an experience. It was just a recognition of, like, when you meditate, you have the experience of, you have the identity of who you are, first mm-hmm. of all. You're a person, you're um, a Red Sox fan, a golfer, and so on. There's whole layers of identity. And when you meditate, you have the experience of your consciousness. Well, and then you come back, and you're having, you are always having all these experiences. And this it kind of flipped mm-hmm. in that, uh, it was like, as if consciousness became aware of itself, having the experience of back mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it was, it wasn't anything flashy, it wasn't anything uh, special. 
it wasn't even hardly noteworthy, except that afterwards I just felt this uh, this peace, mm. and I felt this connection, and I felt uh, a separation between who I was as consciousness and who I was as fact sober. Mm-hmm. And I went home and I sat down to meditate and there was nowhere to go. Mm. And so I went to sleep that night and nowhere to go. And no mantras, nothing. And, and this just deepened over the next six months, a year. And you kept meditating? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh. I didn't. Uh, I didn't use the mantra. I would sit. But you'd sit and close your eyes. And sit and close yeah. my eyes. Mm-hmm. And there was no real way to describe it. I ended up reading these Advaitic books, Nisargadatta, mm-hmm. um, Robert right. Adams, and always to just try to connect what I had experienced with something that I could put my, that I could hang on to. I might just interject that Advaita means, usually means non-duality, and it's mm-hmm. a Indian system of philosophy and experience that, uh, that aims to enable people to rise to a state at which they experience the, the oneness or the, the non-dual nature of life. Right? Is that a good definition? Yeah, that's good. Anyway, just have to, if we're going to throw out a term right. like that, we have to throw No, it. that's true. <laughs> of all the books, that, those are the ones that that recognition I resonated with the most. Nisargadatta, Robert Adams. Yes, yeah. those guys. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and it just kind of rolled up. From there, it was like, I look at people, and, and there was a connection. Who I was as conscious, and who they were as conscious. It was, it was, there was a connection. You basically see that whenever you see it. Yeah. But on the other hand, there was a disconnection between who I was as Fax Gilbert. Mm-hmm. There was a less of an attachment to the thrill of victory and the agony and defeat that mm-hmm. comes with daily living, right? And my relationship, mm-hmm. and that went on for several years, mm-hmm. where you just kind of more up here. Yeah. And then I had another, I would call it a separate, another awakening, mm-hmm. where that recognition of who I was as consciousness went into my heart. Very interesting, yeah. And mm-hmm. that was through the instrumentality of working with people, you know, waking down right. kind of uh, system mm-hmm. of social interaction, speaking, gazing. Mm-hmm. And it was it was very clear, it just went into my heart. And mm-hmm. that range of identity that we were talking about, it was it was Sharon described it as seamless. Mm-hmm. It was as if I was reconnected, this consciousness had finally owned itself as me. Mm-hmm. And there was a seamlessness about it. And that was at that point I just felt uh, I felt the fullness of being in my body for the first time together, mm-hmm. whole. And so that's kind of a Footnotes version. Yeah. Has it gone beyond your heart? I would say it's 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 more in my body now, mm. as well as the heart. The reason I ask is that um, an American teacher who, who goes by the name of Adyashanti, right. um, who's coming to Fairfield in about a year and a half, okay. as, as soon as he can come, because <laughs> he's so popular. Um, but in any case, his he talks about a progression uh, of awakening from the head to the heart to the gut. Mm. And maybe when you say it's in your body, that's what he means by gut. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's kind of cool that you, you notice the same progression. Mm. You know? Yeah, it's more physicalized. It just, it's, it's, to me, this evolution is not just 
going up and right. up and away. Yeah. It's, 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 there's an evolution or an incarnation of spirit into matter. Mm -hmm. And there are different progressions that individuals have in experiencing this. And people seem to awaken in their own way, yeah. different places mm -hmm. and, and so on. But it, it seems like there's, a, there's also, in addition to going up and recognizing yourself as consciousness, there's a, there's a movement inward to and allowing that consciousness to so the rubber meets the road, mm -hmm. live itself as you, yeah. more and more fully. Mm -hmm. So you have like this, this dynamic setup between who you are as consciousness and who you are as human being, the limitless and the limits, and then the interaction of the two creates this, you know, love, life, mm. bliss, maybe? Bliss, yeah. fear, huh. <laughs> the whole range. Yeah. Um, when you first started talking, you, you said that you had been at a stage in your life where you'd sort of thrown in the towel and you just kind of felt like, I've been meditating for 25 years, doesn't look like anything much is going to change, I'll just kind of live it out like this. Um, and uh, it's funny because this friend of mine, um, whom I've actually referred to a couple times in previous week's <coughs> interviews, and who is on the, what is called the Purusha program in India, which is a, a, a monastic group of guys that are doing TM for maybe 8, 12 hours a day, and TM and related practices mm -hmm. up in the Himalayas, you know, really going at it. Mm -hmm. um, he, he said that, you know, he, he sent me this email a few weeks ago in which he said that a lot of the guys that he hangs out with, and, and he feels maybe a lot of people out here, have, you know, kind of reached our age, and they've kind of begun to reach a sort of a spiritual midlife crisis in mm -hmm. which they feel like, well, maybe I'm not going to make it, you know, and, and what, how do, what, what do I do now? And, you know, what mm -hmm. are the implications of this? Am I going to sit here for the rest of my life or, what, you know, what? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and his, his accusation of my show was that uh, I've, I've found a lot of people who have compromised and who have lowered mm -hmm. the bar be, just to make themselves feel better. Because they, they sort of feel like, oh, well, otherwise my life is in vain, everything I've been doing all these decades. And so I'm just going to kind of cheapen the definition of enlightenment in order to claim it and make myself feel good. Yeah. And, um, and his main sticking point was that, you know, in the TM movement, there uh, has been a teaching um, that being able to perform siddhis or sort of so-called so supernormal abilities is a litmus test of having actually attained uh, enlightenment. Um, and, you know, the, in the TM movement, there's a sort of a hierarchy of states of consciousness, cosmic consciousness, God consciousness, unity consciousness. And according to his understanding, even cosmic consciousness should be associated with the ability to perform cities. Um, my own attitude, and I'll let you respond to this, is that I take everything with a grain of salt, you know. I mean, no matter who says it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I certainly respect and quote and read all kinds of so-called spiritual authorities, and I take what they have to say into consideration, but I, I've kind of reached a stage in my own life where I, I'm not comfortable taking anything as a dogma uh, or anything as an ironclad rule, because there seem to be exceptions to every generality, and, uh, and mm -hmm. awakening seems to show up in about seven billion different flavors, you know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, could you could you perhaps respond and elaborate on what I've been saying there? Either of you, really. Mm -hmm. Well, um, interesting uh, idea, interesting question. I, and I know that that is a concern that you know people who have been very dedicated, as we all have been um, for many years, on um, the. Um, 
trajectory of self-recognition, God consciousness, and so on. They don't want to fool themselves, mm-hmm. and and that was certainly primary in my experience too. I I did not want to, um, I didn't want to accept anything less than the real thing, and I definitely did not want to be fooling myself. Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, um, for me, doubting um, was my ally in this process, and that I would hold off for many years even trusting my experience um, because I didn't want to believe anything that wasn't true. Mm. And so when the real realization fell in, um, there was a habit of doubting. Mm. And so there was a questioning that would come occasionally for a, about a week or two, a deep questioning of this, uh, is this this can't be it. Is this it? And really questioning. Mm-hmm. And then recognizing that um, I could I could let go of the doubt of my mind and just fall into what I was actually being mm. in that moment. And that, for me, eased the, um, the pain and struggle of doubting. But yet, it, it took a while for me to let go of that because of that very reason not wanting to fool myself, and um, I can certainly understand where that person is coming from in saying that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, it doesn't hurt to doubt, you know, uh, to a point, and then after a point, you can question the doubt. Right. <laughs> when I mentioned this show to people around town, uh, it's generally a very positive and enthusiastic response, and people say, oh, great, it's about time for me but some people have the reaction, and maybe I actually am not talking to a representative sample in the community. <laughs> I have my own little circle of people who think sure. like I do. But uh, some people have the reaction that uh, you know they refer to it always that you're interviewing people who think they're enlightened. Mm-hmm. And there's a sort of a sarcastic undertone to the use of that phrase, mm-hmm. almost a, a hostility sometimes. And you know, Fairfield does have a history of people who caused this sure, trouble, yeah. you know, and, and actually were perhaps yeah. arguably crazy mm-hmm. and who proclaimed enlightenment. Mm-hmm. So I can understand yeah. why, it might, why, why people might be a little mm-hmm. bit squeamish mm-hmm. or skittish about, you know, anyone who claims mm-hmm. to be enlightened, but it's becoming so so commonplace almost. There's so yeah. many people that are having awakenings, mm-hmm. and part of the reason and I, I wanted I to do this show was to make it obvious to, to yeah. the community that this is actually something happening here. Right, right. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, we refer to the events of our recognition as recognition, awakening, mm-hmm. uh, realization, rather than enlightenment, because mm-hmm. there's so much um, baggage. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's like talking about God. I mean, yeah. the, the conceptual understandings that we've gained over the years uh, may not really be in line with your recognition, yeah. and your recognition, maybe maybe you're not one of the great realizers with all the cities and the halo around your head, mm-hmm. but you can be self-realized as you are, mm-hmm. and the concepts of enlightenment that we carry sometimes are actually getting in the way of letting ourselves be the awakened one that we are. Yeah. So, and which is not to say that somewhere down the line you might be the, the character with the halo and, and, and the supernormal powers, you know, but who knows what the whole span of 
human development or spiritual development is. And growth doesn't stop with what what Marisha calls unity of consciousness. There are possibilities of unfoldment and deepening that continue constantly. Mm -hmm. From what I can gather, um, growth does not only not stop with the dawn of of awakening, but it accelerates. I mean, that's I would what say I that's true. From, from Absolutely, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's sort of like because you kind of you got you kind of gotten out of the way of your mm-hmm. own progress at, at mm-hmm. that point. Um, maybe that's one way of putting it. And 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 another way of looking at it too is that um, you know if there is a solid basis of uh, ground mm-hmm. under your feet, so the ground of being, you can reach farther and mm-hmm. you can dare more. You can also relax more, I think. I think a lot of us tend, maybe it's human, the way humans operate, we tend to kind of suppress or bottle up things that are too uncomfortable to look at yeah, or to right. experience. But if you have, uh, how, how did you put it? It's ground, like solid, solid ground, ground of being. Yeah. Then you can relax and the, if these things come up, they're not so overwhelming as yeah. they might otherwise be. That's really true. And yeah. they can dissolve. I, when I was a new meditator, I, I went to my PM teacher and I, I was really upset because my girlfriend at the time was getting into heroin, getting back into heroin or something like yeah. that, and I didn't know what to do. And uh, my teacher said, you know, mm-hmm. and I've always liked that mm-hmm. phrase because, I mean, if you think of it, we have all this mm-hmm. stuff, all this mud in us that we go from traumatic experiences and whatnot, we experience like, if we're a glass of water, we try to dissolve the mud in a glass of water. I would I wouldn't use the word dissolve so much as what happens is is that it kind of it kind of when you when you kind of accept accept your humanity and your consciousness kind of like connects with who you are as a person, then a lot of the things that were kind of submerged kind of zoom forth. There's a, it's as if, uh, well, for example, in our marriage, uh, we married for, you know, um, we'll be 35 years this, this year. And in order to make things comfortable over the years, you know, certain things would come up which weren't really gone, you know, to go into and dealt with. But after the awakening, these, these same things would come up and there was more of a foundation for going into it and bringing, bringing it into the light of consciousness, so to speak. And it was a greater foundation because I remember uh, I would get angry about something that, that Shannon did and that she wasn't able to, to, to hold it because she had abusive parents and so on and they would always get angry at her and it, it was very traumatic. Yeah. And after awakening, uh, I found that she would come right back at me and so there was it was such a... Uh, Relief to be able to just let it out and have it come back and then yeah. have it to deal just, with stuff that right, was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable, yeah. right? But it, what it did was it create it creates more of a connection, a passion, uh, a yeah. presence that hadn't been there. Everything was kind of mechanical and it became alive. It's interesting, you know. There may be a lesson in that for me. I mean, sometimes if my wife gets mad, mm-hmm. I'm tempted to you know, reciprocate, mm-hmm. but. I find that if I can just sort of hold my temper and be patient, five minutes later she doesn't move the whole thing mm-hmm. past. And mm-hmm. I feel like if I had reciprocated, mm-hmm. it would have, you know, exacidated the situation, and we, mm-hmm. we, you know, we'd still be feeling bad. 
So, but I don't know. Maybe I'm. It's just, it's just every situation is different. Every couple is different, but and and sure, in certain situations, that's the right thing to do. But in other situations, maybe stuffing yourself over and over isn't necessarily, you know, the right thing to do. Maybe just blowing it off. It's just. Behave becomes more spontaneous. It just, yeah. There's no way of it. Just happens. You know? Mm-hmm. So. You know, and the point you were making too about uh, being the ocean and mud and all of it does seem as though there is an integration of um, aspects of myself which before have been uncomfortable to experience. For instance, mm-hmm. when I wake up at three in the morning and there's anxiety. That, uh, in the past, perhaps I would have done everything I could to avoid feeling that and mm-hmm. try to practice sleep, um, you get up with a book, anything to avoid feeling the anxiety. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. now there's there's a willingness to and a curiosity even to feel what's there, what's arising in you. Because I found that really there's nothing which can overpower um, or overthrow my being. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. You know, it's, so there's more, and then what that fear or anxiety or, or whatever impulse like that might arise gets uh, the energy behind it, I could say, maybe gets integrated, not dissipated. In a, in a way, maybe you could say dissipated in that it becomes part of the whole. Maybe there was something which I, I've been holding out or which I haven't really been conscious of. Which then becomes conscious and part of all the things That's interesting. I, I know the character of my own meditation has changed in recent times from kind of a, an underlying attitude of kind of seeking the bliss to an, mm-hmm. kind of an approach in which I, I, you know, consciously and willingly allow my awareness to go to discomfort, fear, yeah. vulnerability, anxiety, mm-hmm. and a lot of times I'll sit there for an hour and just sort of feel these kind of yeah. waves of fear and, and mm-hmm. maybe depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. But it feels like something very healing is taking place. Yeah. It's a little different than the way I used to go about it. Well, and healing is home. Yeah. I mean, it's not that you want to banish some uh, demon, right. more that um, being able to open your awareness within that impulse that's coming up. Uh, because there is awareness there mm-hmm. possible too, and then it becomes part of the program. Yeah, as it goes to Mahatma Gandhi or Nelson Mandela or somebody who says he makes the enemy the friend, and that's what he yeah. makes the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's good. I just wanted to say, you know, you know, the whole idea of, of enlightenment versus awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, the word itself, it, it, it seems like it's like a noun. It has like an ending to it, enlightenment. Right. Whereas I don't feel, you know, from, from the recognitions that I've had, is that the, the recognition of who you are as consciousness is, is a solid, um, non-changing identity. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it, the, the recognition of who you are as consciousness living itself as you, mm-hmm. is, is constantly changing, mm-hmm. constantly growing. So it's, it's like a paradox. You become comfortable with paradox. Because, and the idea that, you know, you think you're enlightened, it has nothing to do with thinking. I mean, you don't have to think that you're a male, or that you're an American, or that you're a Red Sox fan. It's part of your identity. It's, it's not a thought. It's not, it's, not, it's not a concept that you, that you own, or that you figure out. It's a surprise. 
is what it is. It's a, it's a surprise. That's what an awakening is. You're surprised by something. You're surprised by yourself. I think it's possible for a person to think erroneously that they're you know, to, to, to believe they are delude themselves. Yeah. You don't walk around thinking anymore. Right. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. You know, I think we've all seen examples of it. But, um, but this is not to say that whatever uh, spiritual uh, prowesses and development that people are having, you know, in Purusha and, and in caves around the world, or anything like what we're doing. I mean, it could be something totally different. Mm -hmm. It could be a totally different, you know, identification, a totally different experience. Uh, it could be a, culture, a, a totally, totally different, different dharma. Yeah, yeah. different dharma. Yeah. And by dharma, yeah. we mean sort of course of action, which is most appropriate for that. For that person, that individual. Right. Yeah. Although I do think, wouldn't you agree that, you know, although externally people are doing very different things in the course of developing yeah. spiritual self is the self. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. some kind of commonality yeah. in the basis. Um, and then how it reintegrates into that person, personal journey is right. different. Yeah. Life is one little lamp to be many. They should know. I love this conversation though about uh -huh. thinking one is enlightened because um, I don't. I don't think about it as enlightenment. I don't think about myself as enlightenment. Right. And I. And I. One of the great joys of uh, my realized existence since the, you know, the time when I finally own who I am mm -hmm. as um, who I am um, is the the joy of just being an ordinary realist, and also just being. Um, in ordinary life, and having the joys and um, the sorrows also that come with that, are to me that, and not knowing, the, the element of not knowing, other than the totality of knowing everything, you know, we've all, we've all heard the idea that we're enlightened to know everything, and for me it was the, the freedom of not knowing that was blissful to me. Mm -hmm. So, it can be blissful in your way. I personally, in my terminology, I tend to reserve the term enlightenment for some sort of ultimate state of development, if such even exists. You know, mm -hmm. maybe you could count people who obtain that on fingers mm -hmm. one hand, mm -hmm. or people at any given time in the world who obtain it. And I, it's my kind of perspective that there are many stages of awakening. There may be an initial one that's very significant, which is irreversible, and you know, from that point on, you're kind of grounded in, in yourself. But, as you've been saying, it doesn't stop there. You can stop if you want to, and there's a, who knows how many stages there's a reason And I think it's, it, somehow, it seems to be part of realization that realizations or awakenings that often it feels like this is it. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it it's almost like couldn't get any better than this. Right. And mm -hmm. like when you had the realization you did with Ramana where that self recognition of recognizing yourself as consciousness. Mm -hmm. 
if you couldn't conceive for a couple of years, at least, of there being anything more to realize. Mm -hmm. And then, like at some the point, there was. Keeps getting more true. More I wouldn't true. say see, better indicates okay, I'm happier and happier, and yeah. but I would say mm -hmm. truer. It, there's a, there's a, uh, it's like truth begins to zoom forth from different levels, and that becomes more your your focus in life is is those moments of, of truth, whether they're painful or not. Is that or the kind of thing you can give examples of? Yeah. Um, about a month ago, my mother passed away. Um, we, it was fairly quick, fairly sudden, and we went out to uh, Boston and to be with her. And we were there just the day before she passed. And what happens in my experience is that like, her life zoomed forth in, in both aspects, both you know, the purity of it and the goodness of it and the givingness of her life. And at the same time, there were the, the limitations that she was as a person. And it was as if the aspects of my being, the wholeness of my own being, was activated, and at the same time, the excruciating limitations of her passing were also enlivened. And so there was this um, um, poignancy of being that was very lively and very full. It was, uh, it was as if both aspects of my identity, the identity of who I was as a person and the limitations that came with that, that was there fuller, and the fullness of that which held it, the consciousness that registered those experiences, was there more fully. And so, to me, that's that's like the that's like the stuff of life, you know, because it's real. There's no there's no like conceptual about it. You're there, and it's it's right there with you. And who you are zooms forth to meet it in whatever capacity you have. Yeah. It's interesting because Marshy used to use the phrase 200 percent of life." Mm -hmm. I think both of us kind of thought of that as being. All right, I'm, on the inside, I'm going to be the straight and white and wise yogi. On the outside, I'm going to be filthy rich, you know? <laughs> and, oh, uh, yeah, right. you know, and what you're <laughs> saying is kind yeah. of a beautiful example of mm -hmm. perhaps, I mean, well, there could be many examples, but I think it's very, there's a place. For, there's a there's a place for the thorns. Mm -hmm. In terms of thorns, I mean like limitation, perhaps, mm -hmm. because what it does is it, it it caps the boundlessness of your consciousness, and it it, 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 it well it's it's as if there's a limit. Mm -hmm. And looking at a sunset, right. it's fragile. It's gone, mm -hmm. and yet because it's fragile and because it is gone, it makes it beautiful. It creates that charge. It's, it's if the sun's there all the time. Right. And there's yeah. not that connection, and, and so the, the limitations create this polarity where the where the being flows to limitation. Limitation is like a marriage, yeah. And and the poignancy of life becomes precious. So in other words, it's almost like you're saying, maybe tell me if I'm wrong, that the limitations make you appreciate the un the unlimited aspect more, and the unlimited aspect makes you appreciate the limitations more. They they kind of mutually enrich one another. Yeah, I would say yeah. Yeah, it's it's see what it does is it's, it's like who we are are both limitation and unbounded, and it's sort of like it it's sort of like a slot machine. When stuff like that happens, it's like more of who you are comes forward into the moment. It, it, there are times when you're more caught up in the limitation, the the day to day getting through whatever, and then there are times when there's more of that fullness of, of who you are as being. Yeah. But when when something like that pulls 
all of it forward, then there is this, this kind of a sweet sadness of both together, which becomes precious. You gave an example last week, which I think might illustrate this. You know, an example of running through O'Hare, kind of catching connections, like, and no, noticing that, uh, you know, in the midst of all this chaos, you know, close to Christmas, crowded airport, late for the connection, mm-hmm. you know, and one's burning, uh, running mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. There was this deep silence, you know, which, mm-hmm. which was just as predominant, if not more so, than all the mm-hmm. chaos at the airport. And, mm-hmm. and instead of thinking, oh, this sucks, I'm going to miss my flight or a drag, it was like, wow, this is fun. This silence is cool. Oh, the activity is cool. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Loving the experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even while you were experiencing, like, the burn of the lungs and yeah. the, the concern about getting your flight. With a miss, you were soft, you did? Oh my well, I got another one. <laughs> <laughs> but that at the same time, there was uh, an enjoyment of the whole experience. Yeah, it was like mm-hmm. it was like a blast. It was really mm-hmm. fun. And it's just a case in point. And, yeah. you know, not, but, um, so there was a certain amount of freedom there at the time that you felt like got to get yeah. to the point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was doing my darndest to get to the point. Because yeah. I didn't want to miss the connection. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it was... Right. There was this feeling like it's not going to be in the world. Yeah, the world yeah. it's something, the next right. thing will happen, whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I like your use of the word paradox. Do um, you find that your ability to uh, incorporate the paradox within you know, existence itself with the universal mm-hmm. value, the individual value, also makes you more um, broad-minded in incorporating other paradoxes, such as political perspectives, religious perspectives, different things like that that people get so mm-hmm. combative about in this world. Sometimes. <laughs> you work at that one. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> because you have your own particular political philosophy. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I'm serious when I had to work with that one because um, it's painful to be only on one side mm-hmm. you know, of something, and yet you do find that you are on one side of something, at least in terms of your opinions, your sensibilities, and so on. So um, it's useful to um, open to recognize that there's room in life for opposites. You know that. Even having enemies is useful because it strengthens one having enemies. So, you know, having all the voices is a good thing, but it's still painful and um, I'm saying painful to the personality to have somebody express a point of view different than my own and, and you know, sometimes they get very angry at people. So I, I think both are present, both tendencies. What I usually find is I, I kind of feel like I can see why they think that way, you know, gun control, abortion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, healthcare debate. I can, I can see why they have the attitude they have, but I don't agree. Here's, right. here's my attitude. Yeah. And, and, you know, variety is the slice of life, and it takes, you know, mm-hmm. you know if, we were, if we all thought the same way, it wouldn't be a very interesting world. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have your kind of point on the spectrum as well in terms of your own. Exactly. Which I think leads to a broader point, which is that some people um, feel that enlightenment or spiritual awakening, or whatever term we want to use, 
kind of uh, turns you into a blob, you know, a personalityless, a colorless sap. Colorless sap. Yeah, <laughs> somebody who, who really doesn't have any conviction. Well, here's here's the thing. I, yeah. Uh, you recognize yourself as consciousness, and that's that's a part of your identity. And you can you can feed that, which can take you out of you know the the colors right. that are the rest of you know your identity. You, you can you can definitely you can feed that through experience, through direction, through attention, so that that becomes more of who you are, and that's that's your that's your bigger reality, so to speak. Or you can go into the other aspects of your identity, the human aspect, the limitations, the personality, the story, right. uh, whatever it is that's, that's there that makes your person who it is and also be enlivened. And so it, it just depends where the attention goes in terms of what gets enlivened. I don't think there's any like, okay, you'll be like this or you'll be yeah. like this. Do you think that's a Dharma issue again? You know, yeah, I do. Some people just have a natural inclination to be aloof and not so involved in things. It could also be a lack of understanding. Mm -hmm. Somebody has an awakening, and like for the first few years of mine, that was all it was, and and I everything I did was to culture that consciousness, mm -hmm. my identification as consciousness. Mm -hmm. That was where my attention was, and that was that was dominant right. in my identity. So it, it's just I think I just natural kind of uh, progression takes place. Some spiritual texts and teachers say that um, you know you want to kind of save the the reason for having a more reclusive or, or less involved life is to spare yourself the impact of, of sensory impressions mm -hmm. of sensory overload because that kind of uh, overshadows being or, or, or mm -hmm. consciousness. Um, when you took the opposite tack after those first seven mm. years mm. and began to plunge into your relative life more, did you find that anything was lost or overshadowed? I would say that uh, the other aspects of my identity began to, to balance out, you know, what was there in terms of consciousness. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was both of that. Um, you mean more of a balance between your relatives? I think you know, you know, the idea that that, that awakening is is just in one direction is you know, it's an individual thing. Mm -hmm. It's it's not it's not something that is uh, intrinsic to the awakening itself. Mm -hmm. You see, the awakening itself isn't isn't on the level of, of mind or feeling. It's consciousness awakes to itself. So what's going to, I mean, it's who you are. Right. What's going to stop it? I mean, it's going to be, it, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond death. Right. And so how, it's going to be beyond a feeling if it's beyond death. It's going to be beyond, you know, a thought about it. It's yeah. more intimate to you than, than who you are as a person, which yeah. is a thought. I have a friend who had an awakening and she said, I think I'm going to see if I can make this go away. So she proceeded to get rip-roaring drunk, you know, to see if it would. Yeah. And it didn't, um, although I don't think that's something she made a daily habit of, but, you know. It can go away. Yeah. Before the awakening is the self, after the awakening is the self, there's a dot, you put a dot right here, and that's, and that's not awakened. And you put another dot right there, and that's awakened. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's the difference? One knows it's awakened, the other one doesn't. 
Yeah. It's the same situation. Well, that may, from some perspective, that might not make any difference, but from the perspective of the person actually living life, it could make a heck of a lot of difference mm -hmm. in terms of the degree to which they enjoy their life or the quality mm -hmm. of their life and so on. Now, if you, if you uh, have being strong seekers before um, this all came about, uh, there was the idea that there were actions that we could do which would further the process of enlightenment. Like rub oil on your body. Whatever, and all of the myriad <laughs> things that we believed would speed the process. And, and I don't know if they did or not. I know that we did them sincerely and diligently. And then awakening happened. Yeah. <laughs> so there, I don't know if there's a cause and effect with that. Though. And um, I would tend to, in my own attitude, that there is a cause and effect. I mean, spiritual practices have a purpose, and people who practice them tend to awaken more commonly than those. Well, sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's not just coincidental; it's causal. Yeah. And what it really does is it, it does mm -hmm. sort of, you know, purify, clarify. Make the nervous system more, um, a, 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 a more fit instrument for having that realization. Because mm -hmm. any realization, anything experience is experienced through the instrumentality of the nervous system, the brain. That is right. Yeah. I mean, in fact, if, a, if mm -hmm. a, an awakened person had a stroke and the brain was severely damaged, I wonder what would happen to the awakening. I don't know. Well, uh, Ram Das That's true, he is. He has a whole book about it. Yeah, yeah. Just great. Yeah. I saw the, yeah. the documentary. <clears throat> so, uh, I have some questions here, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm in no hurry to ask them because mm -hmm. it's going well. Uh, and if I'm not asking something that, you know, mm -hmm. some thought pops in your mind or you feel like there's some thread of the conversation mm -hmm. that could have taken us in an interesting direction, mm -hmm. feel free to bring it up. This is very informal. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything mm -hmm. hanging loose? One thing that occurred to me a minute ago um, is when we were talking about, uh, you know, kind of plunging into life and, you know, mm -hmm. get the terminology, but, you know, allowing consciousness to kind of be lived in, in your relative life. It seems to me that that's kind of... Well, the, rec the recognition is that it, it is now and always has been living itself as who you are. Right. Yeah. And, and that there's a, there's a joy in that. Yeah. And, and liberation. Mm. Because there's nothing to do. There never has been anything to do to be that, because that's always the situation. It's always, you never get in your own way because that which is realized is, is, has always been given in your own way. Yeah. Although, you know, that, I, I think that kind of talk is a little bit dangerous because I mean, I've run into people here and there who just adopt that as an attitude. There's nothing to do, I'm fine as I am, but I'll just go ahead and live You're my right. life. That's and they haven't had any sort of awakening or realization, mm -hmm. but they're just kind of copping out. Yeah, it doesn't work as an yeah. attitude. It's, it's not an attitude. The right attitude, if you're going to have one, is I must have this. Yeah. I must know about it myself or whatever. Mm -hmm. The hair should be on fire if you right. have it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a better attitude. Right, the old, the old uh, story of the master holding the disciple under water yeah. till he almost drowns and then letting him up. So you have to want it as bad as you want to breathe, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, if you have to have an attitude, that the one that comes most naturally before awakening is that strong desire. Yeah, that's, that is true, what you're saying. Yeah. You think there's an element of grace to the whole thing? Mm -hmm. There's just uh, 
you can make yourself available to awakening. You can uh, have spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. Um, one one Zen master said that uh, the spiritual practices is that, that awakening is not a linear thing, uh, and that, that awakening is an accident. Mm-hmm. But uh, the spiritual practices kind of make it accident prone. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there have been instances in which people have been alcoholic or drug addicts or whatever mm-hmm. and, and have come upon some spiritual awakening. I mean, mm-hmm. Byron Katie was in a halfway house. Mm-hmm. You know, cockroach cross, Kind of unconscious, even yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah she Super. was out, pretty out of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a cockroach crawled across her foot and somehow or other that triggered an awakening. A powerful awakening. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she was never the same thing. It's like a, in a sense, to me, it's like a reset button in that. Uh, the recognition of who you are as consciousness, going back, is always, was always there, registering every experience that my memory would have. Mm-hmm. In order to have that experience, it was being registered by consciousness. And it was like kind of a, a reset, so that in a sense, nothing happened. There was no, there was no change, there was no experience. It was just a recognition of, of, uh, of, a, of a reality that has always been there. Mm-hmm. And so, in that sense, uh, that's why I said nothing happens. That right. something, something happened, but it, it's not, it wasn't an experience. It wasn't like something in time the and space. Happened. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it, like you've always been a multimillionaire, but you, you did. You forgot you had the bank account, and and one day somehow or other you get the key and, and you open it up and you think, mm-hmm. oh my God, this has been here all these years. Mm-hmm. I've been scraping and you know saving and pinching pennies, and I've always mm-hmm. been a millionaire. I'll be done. Oh, you're looking for your glasses and yeah, they're on your head. Yeah, but at the time we're saying this, I remember how frustrating it was to hear people, people talk like, like that. Yeah, sure. Because you're just like trying to get it, um, trying to understand it intellectually, cognize it, make it happen somehow, and say smugly sitting there and saying this can be very frustrating to hear yeah. sort of true aspirant. And so I, I guess I would have to say um, when I when I was saying that there's nothing you can do mm-hmm. to get this, even that is extremely because you want to be doing something. So it is good to have a spiritual practice. Yeah. At least it helps you to relax, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, if we had to distill this down to a practical recommendation, mine would be keep doing your stress practice. Do whatever you think whatever is, you, yeah. is, is helping you, and I whatever agree. you enjoy, and whatever seems to be producing benefits. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and just keep your mind open and listen. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say also, if you know somebody who's had an awakening, talk to them about it mm-hmm. and uh, spend time, and spend time with them. It's, it's, it is contagious. Yeah. Absolutely, and. and 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 don't be afraid to, to to speak about where you are in your process yeah. and and that way if there are misconceptions to uh, only a recognition you may have already had they can be cleared up. Yeah, that's important. I mean, and there are all kinds of groups and, and, and you know gatherings that a person can associate with in order to interact mm-hmm. with people who have situations. And you guys have been in the waking down for some time. Uh, which I think if you do a search on Google for waking down, it will come right up near the top. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, a, of course, the PM movement. And you know, here at Fairfield, we have a, a weekly discussion group uh, every Wednesday night, uh, in which probably half the people in the room are awakened. And it's mm-hmm. been very instrumental in helping others awaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and that's actually a traditional thing, too. Many of the, the ancient traditional scriptures say that. Company of the enlightened, the company of other enlightened people, 
was an extremely powerful advantage for working oneself. Absolutely. And, and part of the reason that that's true is because, for me anyway, um, being with uh, people from my own culture in particular, or other women, or mm-hmm. people that have had similar histories to me, uh, and they're obviously living in a state of, of uh, self, deep self-acceptance and peace mm-hmm. and um, joy, right. uh, and seeing that they're just like me, or mm-hmm. I'm just like them in, in most ways, and realizing well, I don't have to perfect myself in order to, to be all of who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, don't have to purify myself or be some other person, have other kinds of experiences that are more exalted than the ones I'm having. And, you know, if there were something that I could tell my previous self, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of your questions, yeah. that if, I, if there's something I could tell myself, it just be trust yourself, mm-hmm. trust your experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk of lowering the bar. I think, you know, many people raise mm-hmm. the bar to an impossibly mm-hmm. great height. Yeah. And, you know, there's, and they, they also, I think there's also a tendency in this community at least, which, which has a background, uh, a spiritual background by and large, that stems from an Indian mm-hmm. tradition. Mm-hmm. There's a tendency to, to associate or perhaps to confuse many of the trappings of Indian culture mm-hmm. with awakening or enlightenment itself. You know, and, and anybody can yeah. come into town here wearing a dhoti and using an accent and people will fall off the feet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, enlightenment or awakening is not Indian. Yeah. You know, it's not Asian. Mm-hmm. It's not even earthly. It's, it's a totally universal mm-hmm. thing, which I imagine is pretty yeah. much the same thing on Alpha Centauri as it is here. Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's my say, I don't know too much about waking down aside from you know talking to friends who mm-hmm. are involved in it. And it's my understanding that there's a, a sort of an interesting uh, checklist that you actually can sit down and go through with someone who uh, to verify whether mm-hmm. an awakening they feel they've had is, is legitimate or not. Um, can you talk about that, or is that sort of proprietary well, information? Uh, you know, it's not exactly a checklist. Mm-hmm. Um, we we were on a teachers' conference for teachers in Waking Down. And we were at a teachers' conference this summer where the teachers who um, have uh, the, the job of uh, sitting with someone and, and hearing what their experience is and confirming to them uh, what they already know, they talked about it at length, and, and it, it isn't really checklist. They all have their own way of appreciating what someone is saying. Oh, so they're not some standard no, 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 no. questionnaire or something? No, 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 no. Okay. In fact, a, a lot of it had to do with confidence in being. Mm-hmm. Confidence when a person speaks their own experience, their right. own words, and their, when I say their experience, I'm not speaking of experience, um, like celestial experiences, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about uh, the way one has uh, any relating to life and mm-hmm. to their own identity. In uh, speaking that, there's a confidence in being which comes forward. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a uniqueness of expression. And a uniqueness mm-hmm. of expression. Like not just right, exactly. Right. A uniqueness yes. of expression where it's, it's possible to determine that a person really owns you know, mm-hmm. this, this identity. Do you feel that you both can pretty reliably assess 
No. no. We're, we're, we're kind of new teachers. We're, we're, uh, we each have several you know, people that we work with. Right. And you know, some on the phone, some in person. Mm -hmm. And we create the space where they can begin to own you know, more of who they are mm -hmm. in, in terms of who they are as an individual and who they are, who they are as consciousness. Yeah. And it's, it's just a, in a conversational way. Yeah. I was talking to a friend at Cafe Paradiso, which is a local coffee shop here, and, uh, you know, and you know, she was saying, well, how are you going to treat people for your show? And I said, no, I don't have to take them as they would. I mean, I'm not really qualified to, you know, determine whether someone's awake or not. I just kind of maybe have a feeling about them, like there might be somebody that I'm rather skeptical of, but I, I certainly can't tell anything for certain. And she said, sure you can, you can tell them. And I said, no, actually I can't. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I, uh, maybe some of the criteria that you just stated is what I would use, just a, a sort of a, an obvious sincerity, genuineness of expression. Uh, you know, they're not mm -hmm. sort of, you know, parroting concepts, mm -hmm. but they're mm -hmm. obviously speaking, you know, for real. Mm -hmm. something they're doing. Yeah. That was unique for me. I mean, for years I've been reading, you know, the books of spiritual teachers, mm -hmm. you know, and you read the book and you, and you try to understand what they're saying mm -hmm. and then after you know it's sort of like there's a whole reset that takes place and you read it and you say okay that's what they're, that's what they're saying this is how i would say it you know and, yeah. and this is it, it just came alive yeah it's, it's like night and day mm -hmm. the difference between concept and recognition yeah, there's, there's some quote, I can't do it verbatim, but from the Buddha, he actually he says, uh, you know, don't believe anything anybody says just because they said it. Even if I say it, Buddha speaking, don't, don't, don't just take it you know, as truth. You know, right. just go, you, know, you have to really go by your own life, by your own experience. Because depending upon the point of reference that that person is speaking, the truth is going to be different. Right. If they're speaking, you know, uh, from the point of reference of the Absolute, none of this exists. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not there. It's it's not real. Mm -hmm. From the point of view of the relative, the absolute doesn't exist. Yeah. It's just like uh, if you have a a zero, mm -hmm. and you and you have a and, and you multiply it or divide it into anything, that whatever it is, it it disappears. Only the zero remains. Mm -hmm. But if you add something, if you add the zero to anything, the zero disappears. Mm -hmm. The zero disappears. It's the same integer, but the function changes the reality completely. Yeah. And so in the same way, mm -hmm. uh, somebody who is in that is, is like very much identified with who they are as consciousness, mm -hmm. says, says, speaks from their truth, and it, it's just gibberish for you know, somebody hearing it yeah. you know, from the point of reference of the relative, mm -hmm. and the same and vice versa. There was a very nice mm -hmm. phrase that Marshi must have repeated yeah. a million times, which is that knowledge is different in different states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, you can hear something being said from one state of consciousness, from your own state of consciousness, and you're never mm -hmm. going to misinterpret it to some extent. Mm -hmm. You can't really, you know, but, but when you rise to the same level of consciousness as the guy who said it, then you can see what he said. Mm -hmm. And that's just what you think. Yeah. You go back and read these books now that you read 20 years ago and you say, oh, well, that's the case. It's not just misinterpretation either, it's actual literal truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, from the point of reference of absolute, this doesn't exist. It, it is, it is, it's like, the facts Gilbert is a thought. From the point of reference of facts Gilbert, absolute doesn't exist. And that's, 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 that's real. The, the, the awakening is that you, you're able to hold both as a paradox. Yeah, you're, you're, uh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah.
Because that's, that, it is a paradox. I mean, both married together, one totally uninvolved, no qualities, qualityless sap, and the other totally limited, to, totally full of qualities, married together. Mm-hmm. And the mind can't hold that. Right. The only place that will hold that is the heart. And like Sharon said earlier, you don't want to conflate the two so that you become a qualityless sap. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, so a few of these questions. These, these are some questions that um, people emailed to me, mm-hmm. and anyone watching this is welcome to email more of them. Um, at the end of this show, there will be titles on the screen, which uh, my email address, chat group where you can participate with people who you know are interested in this, in this topic, the uh, YouTube channel where where all these things are archived, and you know what else we keep adding to it. Uh, probably establish a Facebook page after a while. But in any case, um, these are some questions that people have sent in, and uh, mm-hmm. let's just kind of skim through them, and uh, maybe we'll, we've already covered some, so we'll skip some. Um, but the first one is, um, since you awoke or shifted, or whatever you want to call it, um, how has your experience of various human emotions changed? Happiness, fear, compassion, anger, love, the several ones we're here to talk about. Are they the same? Are they enhanced? Are they muted? Um, mm-hmm. You know. Well, for me, I would say that um, there's much more of, of a dramatic experience of all of the emotions. I, I think I tamped myself down quite a bit because it would be overwhelming to experience things as fully as I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do experience, what did you put anger? Anger, especially fear and happiness, passion—I mean, all of the, all of the above, all of the above, much more fully. And I don't have—I'm not afraid of experiencing even great darkness in myself anymore. I read a book when I was a kid, and it said there was stuff that you could sprinkle on food called "Ever So Much More So." Whenever you sprinkle it, yeah, ever so much more so. Yeah, like like MSG. I would just say there's there's more passion. This is the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat are more lively. It's yeah. just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. plunging more into mm-hmm. what I like. Good. Um, has your diet been affected by this? Well, it's already bad. It's probably <laughs> gotten worse. Hey, uh, let's see. I ate a little, I ate less pork than I used to. Uh-huh. No, I, I would say, pork no. Pork producers. No. I would say, uh, my diet's probably become more eclectic. I wasn't a vegetarian. Uh, I was vegetarian for a number of years and then stopped. Now I'm not a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. It's like you mean you don't worry about it so much. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I said the Buddha died for me, he answered pork. Yes, what yeah. you said that the Buddhist attendant has said, mm-hmm. um, don't listen to anyone. Um, just don't believe mm-hmm. anything just because somebody said it. Not don't right. listen to anyone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just don't take anything as a gospel truth because some book says it or because yeah. some person says it or whatever. You know, yeah. check in. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, that exact uh, sentiment mm-hmm. is actually uh, the moment that really allowed my being to. Remember, I said there was like uh, a clicking in. Um, I, and I read it, and I was reading this book that Samuel Bonder had written, and Samuel Bonder is the one who um, began this waking downward. And 
right here, the, I think the last page of his book, he said, so I invite you, something I'm paraphrasing here, but very similar, I invite you to um, disregard anything that other teachers have said and anything that I have said, mm -hmm. which isn't your experience, and to come forward with what your recognition is, what, who you are, with your truth. Mm -hmm. And there was something, and it just like it invited my being mm -hmm. forward yeah. to inhabit my whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a, a really powerful indication that my being felt. And um, it, it was like I'd always been looking for others, and even yeah. reading that book of kids, I was you know, looking for the truth or something in the book that would um, ring true, that, and having uh, that invitation from the teacher I respect, mm -hmm. saying, no, ignore everything. Anyone has said, find your truth and be your, you know, yeah. willing to live your truth. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a really powerful thing for me. A lot of people who are listening to this um, will be in the spiritual community and will mm -hmm. have a PM background. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Marshi once said to a, a friend of mine who has been mm -hmm. meditating since he was a little girl, I think, way back, mm -hmm. um, you know, 40, 50 years he's been meditating, he once said to her, don't compare yourself with anybody else. Uh, because she was mm -hmm. doing that. And, uh, you know, I think mm -hmm. we've all, at one time or another, had a tendency to you know, read things or hear people talk about flashy experiences yeah. they're having something and think, yeah. God, I'm not having that, you know, I'm looking yeah. at a lump of clay compared to that person. That's right, and, and that actually, I, I, I have that um, disease of comparing myself mm -hmm. unfavorably to everybody else's experience, and at some point there was, uh, you know, it was like I was like, oh, they're all having such good experiences, I'm not having that, I'm just such a slug. And then there was a moment when my being said, well, I guess I'm here to be that then. I'm here to be this one. Mm -hmm. And and that saying, <laughs> whatever this is, this is who I'm here to be. I'm, this is my job, in fact. My job description here is to be this one with these experiences, however unexalted they may be. You know, and it reminded me of that, of one of Marshy's favorite uh, verses in the Bhagavad Gita, which is an ancient text. Um, is better in his death in one's own right. dharma or you know station in life. I have to have that one memorized. Yeah. Because one can perform it, one's own dharma, the lesser in there, is better than the yeah. dharma of another. Better mm. is better than one's own dharma, the dharma of another than the danger. Mm. Yeah, right. So even someone with a very exalted uh, set of uh, or ways of being in the world, mm -hmm. cities or whatever they are, I would rather be who I am, no matter how humble and, and um, ordinary. And the first phrase in that verse is, because one can perform it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't be somebody You can't be someone You can only, you, right. you, but you're perfect at being who you are. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> who can do that better? Nobody. <laughs> um, let's see. Any change in priorities since the awakening? Well, we were always... Uh, drawn to teaching, and so we still are. Just the, you know, the teaching is a little slightly different. Mm -hmm. It's more, uh, more from us. 
Did you now? You are not only a teacher of you know spiritual matters, but you you do these seminars in, in high school. Did you cool. feel like yeah. in school yeah. all kinds of things? Yeah. Did you feel that your ability to do that, to work as a mime and a presenter of, of these programs for children, did that mm -hmm. change or improve? I would say it, it, it improved in the sense that uh, my ability to connect with the audience, mm -hmm. to feel the audience, and to and to just feel them in my heart is amplified since the awakening. Uh, yeah, you can't tune into them better. Well, there's more love there. There's more love for who they are and what they're going through and, and, and all of that. Whereas before that, there was maybe more of a separation. Yeah. And uh, I, would, I would connect with them as, as consciousness, but not as, you know, the, the warp and woof of being human mm -hmm. that I also connect with in myself. Have you noticed a change in your response to you as a result of this? Well, my, my programs are, are very successful. That's yeah. yeah. Must be fun. It is. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I feel very fortunate to be able to express myself and, and have it appreciated and all that. I go from school to school. Yeah. <laughs> it's neat to have something to work yeah. like that. It is. Yeah. Um, you guys, um, well, I think we kind of covered this, but do you still feel an inclination to sit and meditate, or are you completely engaged in activity on your mm -hmm. way? Mm -hmm. What? Uh, oh, <laughs> I wish I thought about this, but I'm just acknowledging that I understand the question. Uh, I don't meditate, uh, and I haven't felt inclined to uh, for many years now, actually. Um, except that I would say that I don't not meditate ever, I and mean, I feel like, you know, I'm I'm awake to what's happening and what's arising all the time. So, right. but I don't. I I just want to to emphasize that I don't think there's anything wrong with meditation. No. Or I I did not discontinue the practice after 30 years lightly. Right. But um, there, I guess there was a um, a different movement of my being mm -hmm. that had to be honored, um, and that's what's been going on. And I don't. Um, uh, well, I imagine there's a possibility I could meditate again. So mm -hmm. I don't have anything against meditation. Right. I just haven't been inclined to do so. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I meditate occasionally. I sit and close my eyes. I also, uh, like I'll wake up maybe four in the morning and I'll just lie there and, and allow just to, to speak. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so that's the type of meditation I use. Mm -hmm. Among the people that I know who have awakened, there's the whole gamut. Mm -hmm. Some people, I say that no one tends to be OCD about it like they might have, one mm -hmm. might have been, but you know, OCD is obsessive compulsive. Oh, I see. Uh, but you know, some are quite regular with meditation, mm -hmm. others don't do it at all, mm -hmm. others sort of really feel like it. There's no kind of set. There's a difference that uh, before meditation was a way to get somewhere else. Right. And if you already. You know, the boat's on the other side of the river. It, it doesn't become, uh, uh, it, it becomes, the relationship to it is different. Mm -hmm. At that's my experience. Yeah. If, if I feel something going on inside me, you know, some rumbling, mm -hmm. or, I would say movement within my psyche or in my consciousness, I, I will sit and just experience mm -hmm. it more. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Kind of a, it's, but it's not the meditation that I did for all the time of years. But if you 
Yeah. Somebody told me, uh, well, how long did you meditate? I, I, I did practice Tian and I enjoyed it for almost 30 years. And so, well, the mind was in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably right. He's probably right. Yeah. That was mostly This is one thing. I mean, you're a professional public speaker and performer. So that's something you're totally comfortable with. Um, if you maybe haven't done that sort of thing, but is there any area in your life where you are, you have had to do something that, you know, ordinarily would make you nervous or, mm-hmm. you know, come in Where, where you've kind of maybe surprised yourself by mm-hmm. being able to do it with, um, you know, Long, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't want to come mm-hmm. to do this, I, I, when I heard it was television, mm-hmm. um, I, it's just something that's a bit foreign to my experience, yeah. and I um, you know, felt nervous about it, but then as soon as I got here and sat with you, I didn't feel nothing. I had a guy on a couple of weeks ago that used to be so shy mm-hmm. that he would kind of calculate in class, you know, where the questions are going to come around to and which one he'd have to answer and, you know, study it so that he, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, he's just like terrified of any sort of speaking out or doing anything. And, you know, after his awakening, he was invited to speak as long as there's 12,000 people who made it mm-hmm. to this and such things. So he's proud. Oh and uh, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's yeah. got up there and he really feel a ripple yeah. huh. like speaking to himself. On the other hand, I, I, I feel that uh, you awaken as you are. Yeah. And it's, that necessarily means that you're going to, if you were afraid to public speak before, you're going to be afraid mm-hmm. after you awaken. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so if, if, you have, uh, if you're unconscious about certain aspects of your behavior before awakening, you're going to be unconscious about those things after. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you awaken as you are, and Perhaps the capacity for, for growth and experience is going to gradually, you know, increase because you have more of a foundation. But uh, Especially if you have it doesn't necessarily convey uh, a, a change in personality or a change in dharma or any of those things. But what if you're a, uh, a white beater or a thief or, you know, a drug addict, do you awaken as that? Or are those things so much an impediment to awakening that chances are you're going to have to work them out before you awaken? I don't know. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, someone's going to hear that you awaken as you are, and, and they're going to think, I don't want to be what I am. I, I've got all these flaws, you know, I really suck yeah. at this, and I, and I, you know, I well, that's what Sharon was talking about. with people yeah. and, and so on and so forth. And uh, so I've got to, I, I want awakening to improve me. I don't want to just mm-hmm. sort of be an enlightened schmuck. Well, maybe that's a misconception. Yeah. 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 Huh. Well, I, I think that what Fax is saying, though, is like, you do awaken as you are, so whatever crumpled up, you know, version of yourself at that moment. But um, at the same time, there's uh, always room for and mm-hmm. ability to, you know, um, improve your character, yeah. your disposition, or whatever, if you choose to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially if you have true friends. Mm-hmm who are willing to reflect back to you how your actions impact them. Yeah. And so if you're a, a life leader in your life, you know, you can actually hear and see the repercussions of your actions. Um, 
chances are you have a lot more um, capacity to change your behavior. Mm. Mm. Well, we could probably go on all night, yes. but um, I think we've covered quite a bit. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we close? No, just that you know, I've enjoyed the conversation a lot. Um, one of the questions was, you know, is there any, you know, fear about public speaking or whatever? I don't have so much fear about that. I have, I have no problem with large audiences, but when when people are asking you about awakening, it's very intimate, and it isn't the easiest thing to talk about. And what I find is that that people who are really interested, it's it's easy to talk about. There's like mm-hmm. a receptivity, and it just comes, it just flows right out, and it's a, it's a very uh, spontaneous, creative, organic. Uh, process that it just you surprise yourself with what you say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if, if somebody I could sense is not really interested, mm-hmm. they're just sort of like, you know, very kind of chit chat or critical or whatever, or then nothing much happens. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel that uh, being here, you've made us both feel very comfortable mm-hmm. and welcome. Mm-hmm. I felt that your questions indicated a level of awakening within yourself to be able to ask the questions. You have to have a certain degree of, of uh, identity formed with that process in order to be able to, to ask the questions in the first place. And so I want to uh, congratulate you on having the courage to come forward with this show. I think that uh, it's something that will hopefully help a lot of people to, you know, give them the juice to, you know, if there's some some processes being activated to, to move on it, to move with it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I just feel uh, gratified in the way that you've treated both of us with respect. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you. I appreciate what you're doing. Well, thanks. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that appreciation. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because in you know, putting together a list of people to interview on this show uh, and, and contacting some of them, there, there are some who I'm convinced are very profoundly awake and have been in some mm-hmm. cases decades mm-hmm. who are still, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, man, I want to go out in public, you know, I just don't know yeah. if I want that label attached to me, uh, you know, and uh, one of the, my motivations in doing this show is to kind of remove that stigma and make awakening no more an unusual or, or mm-hmm. thing or something that one would want to keep private any more than one would keep private one's, uh, I don't know, interest in football or, mm-hmm. you know, some, something mm-hmm. that we all take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, because it really shouldn't, I mean, it's something that everyone does, right? As far as I understand it, mm-hmm. and it's something that everyone can benefit from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why should it be, why should one's life be kept under a bushel? Yeah, and it, right. it, as, as we said earlier, it, it's awakening itself is a beginning, it's not an end process. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, the awakenings to come are going to be uh, societal. Yeah. There will be with people uh, who are able to go more fully into who they are and inter- inter- interact with each other mm-hmm. in a more profound and true way. And I think that's going to provide the basis for uh, not just individual awakening, but things that we can't even conceive of right now. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect ending, and I won't diminish it by mm-hmm. commenting on it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thank you all for watching. Um, You'll see in the titles uh, some uh, links uh, to email addresses, website addresses, and so on, uh, which you might want to explore. And um, if you would like to be put on a mailing list uh, to be notified of future episodes of this show, you'll see that. 
there's also a YouTube channel you can join and you'll be notified whenever a new video is put up. And if you feel like you might like to be interviewed on the show, if, if, you know, if you feel like just the nature of your experience is uh, of the sort of thing we've been discussing, then please get in touch with us. So thanks for watching and we'll see you next week.